Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to another episode of No Small Roles Superfan Chat, the show where we recap episodes, posit fan theories, and generally nerd out about this amazing D&D podcast. I am Superfan Hannah, and I'm here with Superfan Sam. Hello. And Superfan Pippa. Hello. And this week, we're going to be talking about episodes 37 through 39, which are awesome. Yep, mind-blowing, I'd say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So much information. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was feeling kind of secure with the idea that we were going to only have to recap three episodes and we could spend our time doing it. But the amount of information that comes across in these three episodes, I think the recap alone is going to take us an hour. Uh, possibly. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness it is only three episodes, but they are amazing episodes. They are big. Yeah, they're properly jam-packed. Yeah. And like you say, a lot of lore. And I mean, I'm pretty sure we, we start off still in the cube. We're still in the cube at the beginning of this aren't we we are we are still, still in the going queue <laughs> yeah for half an episode pippa do you want to tell us more about oh, i can yeah yeah, yeah yeah yes. yeah let's, let's get stuck in let's go so episode 37 is called making connections <laughs> and as we said this episode we're still inside the maze i think there's a joke that they've been inside the maze for two months where they've been <laughs> recording this thing so they've just completed the forge room and they're about to challenge the obsidian slab room. So they're inside the room with the four golems in each corner and Gaius has just attacked one of the golems. So we've got Enkidu who's concentrating on still holding the goggles in the air with the mage hand and the golems shooting cross bolts through it but not hitting the goggles. And everyone starts to attack the golem but then they have Psychic Sam's idea. Yes, shout out to Sam. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, using the golems to destroy the other golems and kind of whittling them down so that they've only got one left to destroy. Do you know what was really satisfying, by the way? Yeah. It was the way that afterwards they were like, oh, that's a brilliant plan. That's such a good plan. And I was just yeah, here yeah. patting myself on the back for an idea they'd already had. Sideways compliment. <laughs> I love it. It's great. So yeah, they managed to defeat three of the golems in this way. And you've got them all just kind of sitting back watching with a popcorn and fizzy drinks hiding behind the slab. And then they deal with the final golem together with some, you know, fire bolts and thunderclaps and that sort of thing. And then Orin puts on the goggles and there's a diagram on the side of this obsidian slab, which appears. And it's a golden box with a little lightning bolt inside. And then there's a horizontal copper line and a vertical red line and a vertical silver line. It's like a little kind of electrical circuit drawing. And they kind of work out that the golden box means the battery room and the copper line is some wire and the red means the red room. So they've got to take the wire through the red room to get to the silver plaque inside the piston room and kind of connect it all together using the clamps. Luckily, they're about to leave the room at this point and they're like, okay, we know what we've got to do. Luckily, Gwen decides to check the opposite side of the obsidian slab. Oh, she has the best ideas. I know. Thank goodness, though, because David goes, oh, I was about to let you walk out this room with only half the information. She's so smart. (laughs) Could have spent the entire episode inside the maze and still not have finished. And there's a different diagram on the other side of the slab. So you've got a purple box with a black circle, a horizontal copper line, a vertical blue line, and then a vertical silver line. 
And they work out that the black circle is the ball that they've forged. The purple is the purple acid from inside the wand room. The blue is the blue room from which they have to take the wire through. And then again, the silver is the silver plaque or the silver sigil inside the middle of the crawl space in the piston room. So they connect all this up, roll the ball into the acid, and then Orin, who was at the crawl space inside the piston room, mm. disappears. <laughs> I forgot about that. There's <laughs> like a little trapdoor, and the trapdoor opens, and he just disappears through it. They realise he's gone missing and follow him down the chute, and Enkidu falls headfirst down the chute because he's <laughs> doing a final investigation and making he's sure there's no last-minute messages for Kay. It's always good to check. So they're inside this small little holding room. It's like a brass 10 foot square with some padded benches and a long table with tools and potions. And on the wall in the blue arcane writing, it says, congratulations, you have completed the first test. Erida, in capital letters, will join you in 12 hours. And there's a countdown ticking underneath. So they are basically trapped in this room, but it appears pretty safe. It's a just a resting place for them to have a nice long rest and recoup anything they need to. Before meeting the mysterious Erida. I love the way you said appears pretty safe. It appears pretty safe. (laughs) It's probably the last pretty safe thing that they're going to see for a while. (laughs) To pass the time, they have a, you know, various discussions. There's a chat about families and heritage. And Gaius reveals that his middle name is Findergulf, which was his father's name. And he doesn't know his father. And then he also claims his surname is Julius. Hmm. Or is it? They take turns to watch during the long rest. Orin studies the Dispel Magic Wand, so he finds out it can be used three times before it needs a recharge. Juna tries to cast Message to Ginger, but can't, which is probably due to this magical barrier around the Golden Forest, which we talked about in previous. Gaius and Gwendolyn take second watch, and Guy opens up a bit more to Gwen, as he always does when the two of them take watch together, about his sister Treya. And although he can't say the words, he infers that he suspects his siblings are responsible for killing his mother. His siblings were the ones who tried to kill him and gave him all the disfigurements on his face and stabbed him and slashed him and left him for dead. Oh, God. Yeah, this was a big, heavy moment. Yeah. But it actually did feel that for once we were getting the truth from Guy, which makes a nice change. <laughs> for but a moment, though. <laughs> Just for a moment. <laughs> Three minutes maximum. <laughs> yeah, and he's really worried that, you know, what will happen to not only him, but the whole group if his siblings discover that he's actually still alive. Then Enkidu takes the final rest and he does an inside check and rolls a natural 20. And he's given the choice of who he wants to talk to. This was such an exciting moment. It was so good. And Gilgamesh appears in the room as a solid form. Gives him a hug, doesn't he? He, he like picks him up. He's Lifts like up fully corporeal. Enkidu is visibly emotional, which is understandable. And he mentions something about them all recuperating inside Enkidu's head. And like, you know, maybe Alcibiades is doing the same. That would tie in with previous comments. Uh, They start to chat and kind of plan for the future. They discuss about the throne being empty and make plans to disrupt Berion to find out more about Prevos. And Gilgamesh vanishes mid-sentence. But, you know, for Enkidu, that's enough. And he's, yeah, feels really kind of lifted by this. Mm. The timer ticks down to zero. Orin powers up Aggie 3. <laughs> the wall rises up slowly and we see this grand hall of stone floors and brass panelling and corridors and spiral staircases and these, these golems carrying boxes kind of whizzing around. And this woman in her mid-30s approaches them and says, hello, my name is Erida. Welcome to the Wingfrap Workshop. Orin realises, because he rolls a natural 20, that she is a walking prosthetic. Hmm. She says that they've been granted the role of recruit, and this gives them access to applied medtech, to wand production, and to battery storage. And they all each get their own personal studio as well. And then she name drops all of them. Uh, go for it. So, come on, give me them names. We have Gaius Findergolf van der Kastelin, the masked bard, Orin Miraf Quill, Mosquito, Volus Hemlock, Gwendolyn Lydia Marcus Rose, Carhilda. Enkidu Kai, Relicta, Mazaku, and Junaseptorm. Oh, so good. End of episode. I was so excited <laughs> to hear these names. I know. And David sent us the list of them afterwards. And, you know, listening to the episode as well, you can't tell where the commas are placed, but they do make a difference. Mm. Oh, no, I know. Yeah, massive difference. They are brilliant. Oh, oh, Whose do we want to start with? I, I mean, I, I, I take it we're jumping in straight with the names because of all the big lore drops or, you know, information drops, this was probably the biggest that we've had in a while. 
well. Oh, yeah. In terms of like, okay, there are some that we can understand, but there are others that way in the future we're going to find out about. Um, but yeah, which, which one kind of trumped you the most? Oh, man. Um, well, when Gaius's name was said, it was interesting to hear how much was true. And then classic Gaius fashion, there's a lie in it somewhere. Yeah. There's always a lie. And I don't yeah. know if that's about protecting them or whether it's just like he can't tell the truth for long enough, you know, for, for that long. He just can't help oh, himself. I've just got to put one in there. Yep. Yeah, Van der Castelline. Sounds rather noble and grand, if you ask me. It is a cool surname. Sounds a bit wing thruppy, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> Hmm. Could you imagine if they'd have said Gaius Vindergolf Wingthrop? <gasps> if it was just oh full God. on. If it was just full on, you are a Wingthrop. Because at least that would have dispelled our suspicions about whether he actually is a Wingthrop or not. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> about that. We'll come, yeah, we'll come we'll, to that in a bit. <laughs> we'll go there. We'll go there. So yeah, but Vindergolf, that's a, that's a cool name. It's one we can look out for for the future. Yeah. And I mean, obviously the Van der Castelline family, I'm, I'm sure that name will be coming up soon. Mm-hmm. The one that really got me was how many names Orin has. Yes. Mm. He's got three separate names. Yeah. So we've got Orin Mirath Quill. Yep. Which we know about how he got that one. Yes, we do. Mosquito is separate. Yeah. And then Volus Hemlock. Yes. So there are parts of me that are, th- okay, you know, one of these names might be something to do with a criminal organization in the Woden Isles, because we mm-hmm. do know that he has like a, a dodgy past, so maybe that's like yeah. a code name. Is one of those his real name? Yeah, Mosquito sounds a bit like... It does sound like a code name, doesn't it? Well, I think Volus Hemlock might be his family name. I think that's the case yeah. as well. That he doesn't know. Yeah, because we know very little about his mum and dad, don't we? Yeah. And Hemlock could again be a prominent family. And don't we know that Mirath Quill comes from Mirath, where he was from, and Quill was the person who sort of took him in? Yeah, yeah. The, the gnome who taught him his tinkering. Yeah, so that's what we know about Orin's name. Yeah. yeah. And Mosquito, you're right, Sam, sounds like... A, a, like a code like name, code an name alias. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Might have. But is it a code name that he's given himself in the past, or is it a code name that the Hex or someone from the Woad Niles has just assigned to him because they don't actually know who he is? This is another possibility as well like you know some of these could literally be okay we don't know that guy's name so we will refer to them as the mosquito mm. um, until we find yeah. them again and then somebody will like because he's point buzzing across. around and interfering in things yeah. <laughs> he's always getting in the like, way ah, mosquito yeah. you fooled me again yeah i like that i like that a lot <laughs> yeah volus hemlock to be confirmed i think mm. yeah I'm excited to see where that one comes from. Especially, mm-hmm. we don't actually know how many of these names the cast knew about. Yes. I'm assuming that Chris probably knew about his full name because he likes to keep a secret. But I got the sense from Ben's reaction at the end of the episode that some of these names were new, news to him. to him. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, and also in No Small Questions, I did ask them about the names. And Daryl said he knew about one of them, but not the other. So he mm. knew about Relictor. Oh, interesting. And he didn't know about Mazaku. He has no idea where that comes from. That's really cool. So again, a potential code name? Yeah. yeah. Or is it something to do with the patrons inside his head? Because that was initially, I thought we were going to get all the names of all the patrons as well. Yeah. Yeah, same. Or again, is Mazaku what Enkidu was called by his parents who he never met? Yeah. Because Enkidu Kai was a name that was given to him, right? Yeah, was, you know, Relictor. Where does that come from then? Did Daryl actually explain that one? Or did he just say he knew about it, but wasn't going to give any more information? (laughs) No, he did explain it. It meant like left or forgotten. (laughs) Like it's not like a nice name to be given. Oh, interesting. I was like, oh, Enkidu. It's like, it's a slur that he was called when he was little. Oh. But Mazaku could be, and I mean, you kind of touched on this in the recap as well. Like, we've had this theory that maybe Enkidu is some kind of, like, walking rehabilitation center, right? Mm. So it's like, you know, they magically get put inside Enkidu, and because of all his, like, his kind of noble aims, his... Like, uh, his sense of honor and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Gilgamesh even says it in that episode, like, there's not much to do in there, so you just kind of work on yourself. Yeah. And there was a reference where Enkidu was chatting to uh, Juna and saying, like, the last time I spoke to Alcibiades, he actually wanted me to ask how he was so maybe they're all kind of like in there working on themselves and maybe the name that they've given him is mazaku oh maybe or that's the name of like the spell and enkidu is the embodiment of that spell who knows i'm just questions at this point oh so interesting i maybe shouldn't have done this and i don't know whether to even mention it but i might have typed the word mazaku into google oh and it does give a clue okay which i don't know whether i should say or whether that's kind of oh meta- god this is well, theory know, based. yeah we're so- nah, 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 nah. they meta can't we gaming. Can. <laughs> we're not the players we can metagame all we want 
That's the point of us. This is fine. They know. <laughs> They're ahead. It's okay. Um, so it kind of loosely translates as evil king. <gasps> no. If it's not Daryl choosing it and it's David choosing it. David, what have you done? Then there's a reason My jaw has for just that. hit the floor. Wait, what? Evil king? I know. I don't know what to make of it. Something like loosely, vaguely translates as like evil. Yeah, it's a Japanese thing, I think. Oh, oh um, my. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Oh, my Gilgamesh God. Gilgamesh is evil. Are we? Well. Is, is this the first? Or is it oh, Alcibiades? my God. Because Alcibiades, Alcibiades is the one who's got a claim to the throne. Yeah. Or is Enkidu as a person, like a split personality, where he is Enkidu and Alcibiades? And Gilgamesh. Or is it something to do with the lost years that he doesn't remember? Yeah. Yeah. Or is it like, is this part of his story that he has always been these two, I don't know, and he just doesn't remember it? Like, because we only know his story through his eyes. Yeah. yeah. So we don't know how much is a fantasy of who he is and yeah. what he actually is like. <laughs> yeah. But potentially that's a game changer, that one. You heard it here first. I mean, this is the split personality conversation that we've had before. And I, yeah, yeah I mean, I'm not ruling it out. I think the idea of like a split personality under magical circumstances is such a great idea for a character builder. Like, yeah. you know, you, you pick your flaws mm-hmm. when you create a character. How good a flaw is that, that you're not in control of your own actions? But it could be. And you wouldn't even know about it. You're, yeah. you're right. Enkidu could be a created personality after the fact. Like, the, that's the one that is currently mm-hmm. has the light or whatever, you know. If you- yeah. yeah. Because who's to say that Enkidu is, like, the primary, right? It yeah. could be that Alcibiades is the primary. And like you say, he's got a split alter who is Enkidu. And Enkidu is just the one that's constantly in control. Whereas previously, Alcibiades would be the one that's constantly in control. Mm. So it could be that he's, he's fractured into these separate patrons these personalities Mm -hmm. in order to protect his own sanity Mm -hmm. in some way like you know if he was all of these things in one if he was like Mm -hmm. a king that's capable of ridiculous magic like Elcibiades is and evil that that was a magical splitting and that Enkidu is the end product of that like the whatever's left after all those pieces shatter away Mm -hmm. yeah Mm. okay well that's something to look forward to (laughs) (laughs) so curious and also in terms of like thinking about it so i'm obviously going to nerd out from a psychology perspective go for it Um, please do there are some parallels with what i know of dissociative identity disorder which is now what is multiple personality disorder is known as so the idea is that there are multiple identities and when you dissociate, another one will take over. Yeah. And different alters, they call them alters, like the alternative mm-hmm. identities. They don't necessarily know what the others will do. So the primary person, it really depends on the person with DID, whether they, I guess, have a primary or not. Mm. The person who is, I guess, the primary will not remember at all. They will be totally dissociated from the other identities in terms of what happens. They might remember certain things or they might not. But it is commonly a a result of trauma, basically, Mm -hmm. Mm. in that you create other identities to protect yourself. Yeah. uh, Because your psyche cannot handle what necessarily has happened to you and this is the safest way to move forward and growing up in a in a brothel and seeing everyone you know being murdered in front of your eyes would probably do that mm-hmm. kind of counts as enough trauma yeah his tendency is to burn things as well like i don't know whether that comes out of the same kind of processing it's just like it's easier to send everything up in flames than to confront it yeah <laughs> right anyway well that's our theory on enkidu sorry daryl you're now an evil king um, <laughs> enjoy that <laughs> Oops. Well, maybe Alcibiades is more Enkidu than we thought previously. Oh. Maybe they're more connected than we thought. But maybe he's rehabilitating and getting better. So, you know, we can be positive about this. Yeah. Yeah. It'll all end happily ever after, I'm sure. Maybe he is a, a walking embodiment of like a group therapy session. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I love that idea that they're all going to come out and they're they're going to be cured, and Alcibiades is just going to be like hugging everyone. It's like I'm I'm so sorry for what I've done. I'm five years good. Yeah, not like five years sober. It's like oh, yeah, I've got my my five year goodness badge. Oh, oh, I want to see this now. That would be so cute. Fan art, Karen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Gwen has extra names as well. Yeah, Carhilda does. Yeah. So, yeah, we have Gwendolyn, Lydia, Marcus, Rose, Carhilda. Which is separate, isn't it? Yeah, that was where the comma was. Yeah. yeah. What, is, what is Carhilda? Which, I mean, we, we kind of theorised probably like her Orcash name. Makes sense. Potentially, but it could be something else. 
Uh, we don't know w- what the real story is with Gwendolyn's mother yet. All that we know is that that she is from Orkosh and she was raised in her father's part of the family. And I think we kind of hinted before that is that actually her family? Was she just raised by them? Are they her actual sisters? But it could be that this is just the name that the, the Orc tribe in particular have for her. Mm. Or it could be something else. Yeah. It could be the draconic word. <laughs> Or it could be like, yeah, her mum's name for her, yeah. Or it could be like um, a rank in something. Yeah. That was my initial response to it was like the idea that it might be like a position in some sort of organisation that she's unaware of or something. Mm. Or like the orc word for princess or something, if there's kind of some kind of nobility from that side of things. It does have a bit of that sense to it, because like if you think like Carl's and stuff like you know, mm, I'm, I'm thinking yeah. very Game of Thrones here, you know, is or Khaleesi and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carl that Hilda, was what I that thought. That does of. actually make a lot of sense. So we've got an evil king <laughs> and an orc princess. This is great. <laughs> and we need to pair them off. <laughs> and a mosquito. <laughs> and a mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I almost felt really sorry for Juna because it was like Juna Septhorn. Mm. Like that's it. Juna know, is it's like the, what you get. Two hundred year old lady. That's your name. <laughs> no other secrets there. You are who you say you are. Juna's never been anything but Juna. <laughs> I absolutely love that though because yeah. I I don't doubt that there are still secrets going on with her. You know, I think she's she's told a lot, but I think there's more under those covers. It's a lot of backstory to hold on to. Two hundred yes. years, isn't it? So yeah. much backstory. <laughs> So also, you know, I'm looking forward to meeting Ginger and was a little bit, I mean, there was that bit of me that was like, oh, okay, you can't send a message out of this place. Like other magic works, but they are literally stopping the signal coming from inside. Mm -hmm. And we're yet to know whether that is the entire building, Mm. but particularly for this like waiting chamber, which is is a kind of like a, almost like a non-disclosure agreement, right? You know, you're not allowed to tell the secrets of this place to anybody else, Mm -hmm. but it is also like, okay, you're on your own in here. Yeah, a little bit worried about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, unnerving, for sure. Um, Before we move on to the next episode, um, can we talk about chemistry puzzle? Yeah. How in the world, in any way, did they manage that? I mean... It was good. I was like... Well, I don't remember GCSE chemistry, so this is doing nothing for me. <laughs> well done, Ben, basically. Yeah. yeah. Didn't he do a thing like, oh, do I know about this? Yeah. And David's like, well, you do, but maybe maybe." Yeah, Orin does my does. character know about electrolysis? Because I do. <laughs> so, yeah, it was good. I know we um we talked about last time as well. You said you thought there was going to be an extra one where they had to use all the bits they'd collected in one kind of yeah. last puzzle, which made perfect sense well, it was very escape roomy wasn't it you know it's like oh yeah. you have these things from the beginning it'd be a bit weird if it was like no they don't come up again they're just a red herring you know it was all it was all connected <laughs> it was all connected <laughs> you just got all this wire and these random things for no reason well done and again it was it was Gwendolyn that did or Grace who did a lot of the solving for that and she comes at it from a place of like I don't know about these things but wasn't the acid purple so we can just put it in there and like oh let's check the other side of this and work yeah. everything out mm. yeah genius she's very good at innocently asking the right questions mm-hmm. yes yeah. so she doesn't necessarily solve the puzzles completely yeah but what she does do is she looks at the right things in the right places at the right time yeah she might not have the wisdom but she's perceptive yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah good puzzle i like it yeah there's also one thing i kind of want to mention at the end oh yeah this just stuck in my head and it has been kind of like you know erid has been talked about as this like walking prosthetic right this this ancient human who is 30 mm-hmm uh, and he's walking around like a prosthetic. But the thing that stuck in my head was the 12 hour casting time, right? Or the 12 hour that they had to wait, which made me think, okay, which spells are out there that are 12 hours? Oh, okay. So I think a bit like your evil king, I may have done a little bit of research. Uh, there is, yeah, yeah. there is only one spell that takes 12 hours to cast. Sam, you're a genius. It's a seventh level spell. Okay. Called Simulacrum. <gasps> uh, I don't know if you've heard of it. Yes, I have. Never. So this is effectively, in magical terms, you create an illusory duplicate that is made of like ice or snow or something like that, but reacts like a normal human. Like it, And they say that these limbs and these prosthetics and stuff are cold to the touch. Could that be because they've been created by ice and snow? Ooh. But yes, if you Google the word and get a definition for the term simulacrum, it mm-hmm. comes up with image representation or an insubstantial form or semblance of something. And in the the if you look at the spell on like D and D Beyond, it's all about how you can create this. thing. How long does it last? How long once you've cast it o- over twelve hours? How long does the simulacrum last? Until dispelled. <gasps> yeah. Oh my god! This is a sentient ice elemental gone rogue. Yeah. 
But it, I mean, it, it comes from a caster. Oh, okay. So there is, there must be another version. And this wow. is what, where I was starting to think, could it not actually be Erida? Because it's not specifically you that you create. It's a creature okay. uh, that you create an identical copy of. So it could be using the information of Erida. There is a disclaimer in the spell that says, like, if you cast this again, the previous one is destroyed at the point of casting. So it could just be any new recruit who comes through, they recast this spell to include them in the capabilities of this thing, you know, that it, it still responds to them. Jesus. That makes a lot of sense from what we find out in the next episode. But I'm wondering, because the wing thraps are so into using elementals, that makes Mm -hmm. so much sense in terms of not just like ice and snow, but, you know, if we were thinking about wing thrup technology any kind of element being brought together and they're good at mixing elements as well. Mm -hmm. So maybe there are other things that they're using to make these simulacra. Yeah. And I mean, I might might come back to this point when we get to the next bit yep. in the next episode because uh, there's there's yep. more that yep. kind of I like know exactly confirms what you're my... talking about yes um, yes should i talk about it then yeah i think hannah take it away yeah let's yeah. go let's go right so episode 38 is called erida in all capitals like siri yeah a bit like siri <laughs> so we meet the heroes again in the box and erida has just appeared and said all these names this image of Erida, and they find out that she is a prosthetic. She is this walking prosthetic. And they basically start asking her a bunch of questions. So I'm going to kind of try to sum up all the information that we learn from them, essentially just talking to Erida, who has a creepy (laughs) robot voice, which is awesome and really unnerving. It's proper AI. So... The first thing they start doing is asking more. And what we learn is that there's like a ranking in the family. So there are like commanders and information is restricted to higher ranking family members. So she won't reveal certain things. If they wish to gain this information, they'll have to do the advancement test to progress higher and higher in the family. <laughs> Will they do the advancement test? Oh, I wonder. Let's find out. <laughs> yeah. So they're sort of asking like, what's going on? Where do we go? And she tells them, they find out initially that there's one production, applied med tech and battery storage. And they, if they just ask for Erida, she will guide them around and take them wherever they want to go. And they also find out that they have personal studios in this facility. So they ask about, well, how do we find out about these things? Where is this information kept? Uh, well, they, first they ask her, are you Erida Wingthrup or are you a copy of Erida Wingthrup? And she just goes, yes. <laughs> and they try to ask her more information about that. And they say, Erida Wingthrup is contained in the Codex. Only higher ranking family members have access to the Codex. It is restricted. And she says something about accessing the codex when you are not a higher ranking family member will result in termination. And they say, what does that mean? And she goes, yes. Drastic (laughs) measures, I think they say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's basically very extreme measures. They're like, terminated is in like kicked out of the family or terminated killed? And she's like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So drastic measures will have to be taken to avoid information being removed from the facility by basically people who shouldn't have it. So they're all a bit freaked out by this and they kind of all look at each other and decide they're going to go to their private studios first. They want to see the private studios and then when they're there, they're going to decide what to do. So Erida just starts taking them down this corridor and we find out that Gwendolyn and Kidu and Juna all have their own separate quarters in one direction and then Orin and Gaius have their own in other directions. So they go... <laughs> They, as they're walking down the corridor, a door swings open and it's Gwendolyn's room. And Gaius is like, oh, we should all look at it because I'm sure Gwen has really great taste. We should all go have a look. And Guy also has a very clever idea to ask Erida in a roundabout way whether they can be seen and heard while they are inside the facility. Turns out, yes. Gaius and his nakedness. It's a, it's a great moment. <laughs> God, doesn't he say I like to walk around naked? Yeah, he's like, I like to do my work in the nude. I like to do my work in the nude. So um, is that going to bother anyone? Like, will they be able to see? And she was like, yes, but we don't care. <laughs> he's like, don't worry. Uh, we don't we don't care about your nudity. And basically, in order to get her help again, all they have to do is say Erida and she will appear, which is creepy. Mm-hmm. So again, Gwendolyn very cleverly decides to 
play a game where they all take a piece of paper and write down their hopes and dreams and bold it up and pass it around and add to it. And in this way, they basically play a game of, um, you know, like consequences where you draw one bit on a bit of paper and then people add yeah. to it. But it's she writes mm-hmm. down a bunch of questions about what should they do? What do they think about doing the test? Where should they go? What are their suspicions? What's our cover story? That kind of thing. And everyone sort of answers it. Mm-hmm. And they kind of come to a consensus that they want to look around a bit more, see what the deal is, and then do the advancement test. And they also decide on their cover story, which is pretty much the truth, but they decide not to talk about Myra. They just keep it to Theracene. They decide they're going to go for a wander and see what they can see. And as they do, Guy asks Enkidu how Orin proposed. So they're sticking with that cover story that those two are together and then the rest of them are a wing thruple. Favourite bit. As the term has been coined. Love it. So good. I also really want to hear this poem as well. I hope that's not just like swept under the rug. I want to hear Orin's romantic proposal poem. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Bonus content. It's going to happen at some point. Yeah. Get on that Patreon. So the rooms are well kitted out with stuff that you need to design and make things. So there's stuff like chisels and pliers and stuff like that. And apparently a map as well, which sort of guy again retcons that they have a map with them. But Erida does decide to show them around. So they look at the map and the facility is split into three floors. There's the top floor, the main floor and the basement. The top floor contains personal studios. The main floor contains personal studios, one production, applied med tech and the maze, which I'm assuming is where they did their test. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the basement has six different areas. Battery storage, the codex, (laughs) Erida's chambers, arcane engine... Golem Foundry and Arsenal. And it's very specifically mentioned that the Arsenal takes up a huge amount of space. Oh, they're quite excited about that, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So as Erid is sort of leading them around, they ask her if there's anyone else there. And she just says, yes. And they say, okay, but any other recruits? And they learn about Cogian, who is working in battery storage. So they go to meet him. As they enter, he's sort of shuffling around, listening to a gramophone, cataloging batteries. And they have a chat with him. He's a recruit at their level. He doesn't feel like he was smart enough to advance. So he's happy doing his thing. He's doing a stock take. He seems very unfazed by the idea of a wing thruple. (laughs) (laughs) He tells them uh, he's doing a stock take to see what they have. And then he's got to work out how to get rid of all the batteries and the three tanks of elemental creatures that have not been used in batteries that are just in the room behind some glass. Because the Wingthrops need more space for the arsenal and Coggian suspects, or that hasn't been confirmed, there's some sort of new technology that means they don't need all this anymore, which is really, (laughs) really unnerving. Yeah. Yeah. And the crew are rightly quite scared of this, I think. There's a lot of unease that sort of ripples through them when they hear about this. It's not just them. Yeah. Um, he also confirms that one of the current consortium is a Wingthrup, although not necessarily an Arcanist level. And then he seems a bit starved for uh, social interaction. So he sort of tags along with them and takes them to see the Arcane Engine and all the sort of other different areas. So first they go to Wand Production and they sort of see what's going on. And I, I get the sense that that's kind of happening around the Arcane Engine. Yeah. That's what I got as well. So there's all these, yeah, different golems that are creating wands and they're creating blast wands and absorption wands. And Orin sort of has a little peek to see what's going on, although they can't see exactly how it's made. But they do notice that there isn't like a compartment for the battery anymore. They can't see a way of opening them. So that's an interesting detail. Mm. And then in the... (laughs) In the middle of the chamber, there's a really huge spherical chamber with a huge globe of cerulean arcane energy surrounded by glyphs. And in the middle of that is a silver cube with half a sigil in the centre. And Orin chooses to look at it and sees that it is the other half of the sigil that was inside the The arms. And it's not a replica, it's the missing half. So essentially, it implies that this is where the arms were activated from and that this engine is able to sort of cast the other half of the sigil at a distance to activate the arms. So 
again, very creepy. <laughs> they find out from Cogian that Erida is pretty much in control of everything. Like if you just say Erida, this stuff will happen. And he says, you don't necessarily need to say Erida, but it feels weird not to, just to sort of humanize it a bit. So if you get, for example, in this like arcane lift and say Erida top floor, it will go to the top floor. Cogian reveals that his dad did the advancement test and is a commander, but didn't really give any indication as to whether that changed his physical form yeah. to less human. Oh God, there's so much information, you guys. I'm really know, trying to I squash know, it down. I'm not looking forward to mine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they also learn that the doors to the codex won't open to anyone who's not high enough ranks. So they can't, I mean, they'd really probably have to like mangle some machinery to get in. They ask him about the clues for Kay and he tells him about a Wingthrop that ran away after the test, whose name began yeah. with Kay, but we're not sure mm-hmm. about that. And then finally, after sort of all this discussion and looking around and looking at um, everything, they head to MedTech and they see Quanta there working on a table. Someone's lying on a table and there are sort of things in lab coats around the... As she sees them, she sends the things in lab coats away and it turns out that they're golems wearing lab coats. <laughs> and she asks them if any of them have any medical experience, particularly amputations. And Enkidu says, oh yeah, I've been a soldier. And she goes, great, hold him down. We're going to cut his arm off to the guy on the table. And that's where the episode ends. Bar, oh, bar, well done, bar, Hannah. well done. Oh, yeah. so much information. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I mean, like, we said these three episodes just uh, so so much yeah. amazing information that you want to mention it all don't you yeah <laughs> I know. You anything could, really could be important that's the yeah. thing i know and that's why i kind of wanted to cram in as yeah. much as possible but mm-hmm. my god and so many moments for comedy as well there were so many great moments yeah. which were actually in yeah, amongst really the funny. yeah amongst the disturbing stuff was like hilarious it kind of makes I it mean, worse the, the mental imagery of like when they're like walking through and the elevator and you know coggy is is in dressing gown and slippers you know my brain was going crazy like listening to all of that like the glass panels opening and the way the the engine was described because didn't he say there were there were columns as well i can't remember Mm -hmm. if he said what the columns were made out of but you know this very juna kind of says it herself this very kind of like henge like quality to this this constructed engine I'm getting such Bioshock vibes. Yes. Like such Bioshock vibes. It feels like Rapture. Yeah. It's so creepy. It's great. Would you kindly hold this guy down? (laughs) (laughs) And the golems, I've got them in my mind as a little bit like big daddies, just like wandering around. Does that make Erida a little sister? No. Walking around with a syringe? (laughs) No. Because the little sisters aren't robots. That's true. They're just creepy as all hell. Yeah. Very creepy. I don't even know where to start on this one. I know. it's It kind of had a like haunted house vibe to it as well, along with the Oh, comedy. I forgot. I forgot that there, to mention on the map, there's also a river running from MedTech towards the Institute. Yes. Yes, the WCI. Yeah. What does that mean? That's probably their only way out. <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to pitch a, a theory and you tell me what you yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the arsenal is being expanded, not because they're making more weapons, but because they're basically making more prosthetic? Yes. People and they're assembling a big robot army, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Cool. So my nightmares are coming true. Great. Yep. Good yeah. Know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, the whole like wand production and stuff like that, they're literally only focusing on combat. They're focusing on how to absorb incoming fire while dealing a hell of a lot of damage back. Like the blast spell, it's just going to destroy, 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 destroy. And that, I don't know whether that is because they're planning a conquest or... I mean, it sounds like You it. know, this whole kind of like an AI thinking, oh, I actually know how to stop violence in the world is to have violence for a moment and establish order. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a lot of like those vibes from... Well, and because of the power vacuum, because there's yeah. no king. Yeah. It's what a great moment to seize control. To put a prosthetic on the throne. Yeah. Or a Winthrop who commands a bunch of prosthetics. Oh, God. Also, why does Erida need chambers? Because she's not dead? Yeah. Because she's being kept alive by some massive machine. So that... we should rename it Erida's prison? Well, that's where they make the simulacra. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Could be. With her, like, bones or whatever. <laughs> it's just like, you know, she's still there. But I do have this this kind of uh, 
if you've seen Rise of Skywalker, like the way that they've got the Emperor with all the like cables in them is like, yes, I am editor kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Something that, you know, these tubes that are keeping her alive. Just like the Borg Queen. Oh, I mean, we've already met a lich. Yeah. Like, it's not that far off. Mm-hmm. This is just a, a Winthrop type of lich as opposed to a Krell type of lich. Potentially not, though, because you say with your theories... I have had a a theory, and it it kind of goes along with the simulacrum spell, is that an artificer cannot cast that spell, because they get up to level 5 spells. And unless there's some kind of like weird thing, that is very much an esoteric magic spell. So, there is a a mention from Coggy that he doesn't understand how this engine works, and he's a wingthrop, you know, he's used to creating these things. What if we're getting a blend here? And even, I think it is mentioned in the next episode by Quanta, she's like, oh no, you know, soul transference, that sounds esoteric. Mm. What if it is a blending of the two, which could mean that it comes from some other arcane user who was now taken over this factory could be Kral mm. like there is nothing to suggest that it isn't Kral at this point uh. we've got a bunch of K's you know if somebody found a way of putting that symbol on there they don't need the elemental batteries to cast this anymore because it's esoteric I mean is the codex a type of phylactery yeah yeah. I was going to ask you guys, can you only have one phylactery or can you have more than one in a kind of Voldemort and the Horcruxes kind of vibe? I don't know. I think typically it's only one, but you know what? I think David has such a great way of remixing traditional D&D to suit yeah. his setting yeah. that I wouldn't be surprised if the Wingthraps had found a way to create more than one and sort of advance it a bit so that it's less of just a container that contains an essence that allows a body to keep living and more of like... I mean, like a central brain, right? That, that yeah. like that Erida has been downloaded to the mainframe. But it's also like, you know, it's a shame that Juno rolled low because I think she's right here. I think this is some kind of constructed henge mm. to amplify the power of that codex so that it, you know, can reach further and yeah. create these prosthetics. It's, it's terrifying. That's a good point, Sam, actually, because the henge exists on its own in one place. What's to say that they haven't built this facility on the site of another area of natural magic let's yeah. say like there was a sort of hengy source there and now they're using their constructed stuff to channel that incredibly high level ancient magic so it's a combination oh my god uh... Kral, what have you done and you know is Kral wanting to take control of the henge part of trying to equal the power of the wingthrups who've got control of like another one mm-hmm. potentially and he foresaw these guys taking down the wingthrup facilities so he gave them guidance to get through their part of the maze so it that he can have still it still be a thing yeah so that he can have all that yeah. power oh god oh man oh god <laughs> But yeah, like, you know, because I couldn't think of any other reason why they would get rid of the elementals if they know that they are such a a surefire, uh, like, power source for all of the equipment that they come up with unless they have other means of casting magic through esoteric means. And that Mm -hmm. that's literally the only kind of Mm -hmm. uh, the thinking that I've come around to here. Um, But I also have a question for you guys. If you were playing this game and you had all of this information put before you, would you want to do the advancement test? No. No, right? No, I would want to burn it all to the ground. (laughs) Yes, yes, I would. I would be like, let's set it all on fire. I'd do an Enkidu in the library. So you you get to captain rank, and you get all of this information. You get access to the codex. Access to the codex means putting you in the codex. Right, you (laughs) get downloaded to the mainframe. (laughs) Yeah. And they're just like, oh yeah, you know, we'll go do the advancement test so we can know more. No, run! Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god, honestly. I'm, just, I'm, I was, I'm looking yeah. forward to listening to No Small Roles, but it's from the point of view of a bunch of prosthetics. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, especially because one thing that Enkidu says a couple of times is instead of elementals that they're putting in the batteries, what do you think they're using? And he says, what about human souls? Yeah. What yeah. do they think is going to happen to them? Oh, oh, the irony that he's the one that yeah. suggested it, given that what happens to him next. Uh. Uh, I mean, I know you said in our in our little uh, chat, Pippa, you know, maybe they're doing it because last time they went off road. It I was, happened. Yeah, I was going to say we had Dragon Gate. Oh, of course, yeah. The last the time they did try and break into something that was above them, it did not end well. And thank goodness that wasn't the true reality, as far as we know. It's just one of many realities. Yeah, it did feel <laughs> like, you know, well, what other avenue do we have without really, really putting ourselves in danger, given that everybody has told us how dangerous these golems are and how we're going to be terminated? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I would have I would have liked to have checked out that river. Yeah. Given that they were in med tech. I know they just forgot about it. And they were there was a, an amputation about to happen, so 
it'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah I would yeah. love to look at this river, except someone's <laughs> about to have his arm chopped off. So Talking of. With that lovely segue. Yeah, do you know what? Let's talk about some amputation. Do they do the advancement test? <laughs> oh, I wonder. Let's find out together, shall we? So in episode 39, uh, which is aptly titled Family Values. Oh. Ugh, just the way they tie these things up is so good. Because, uh, yeah, they're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And then later, like, oh, my God. Um, right. Anyway, so Enkidu begins helping with this amputation. But literally, right off the bat, the first thing that Vicky screams is uh, she casts Detect Thoughts on Quanta. And all she gets is static, uh, just as she did when she cast it on Erida. Yes, that was another detail I missed because there were so many things. It's all good. <laughs> I know, you had enough to speak about. But I mean, so she's there like, she's a robot kind of thing. Quanta then becomes Edward Scissorhands, mm-hmm. uh, gets all these like surgical tools out of her fingers that kind of like move apart. Uh, and she just slices the arm clean off cauterizing the wound. And then she just kind of like gives this arm to Enkidu to throw away. But he decides to try something else, and he uses his prestidigitation to create the symbol, the sigil that they've seen, this conjuration sigil. He creates the lower half on the arm, and he puts the top half of this triangle on his own palm. And then he just kind of like, you know, leaves it there for the moment. They have a a brief discussion with Quanta, who strangely doesn't seem to know their heritage, or really much about the team, uh, or why they're in the facility which had me asking a few questions as to like whether Quanta knows that she is a prosthetic, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Basically, it is revealed in this conversation uh, that Erida can cast an incantation to identify a person and all the names that they are known by. So similar to like an identify spell or legend lore, but it's to the people themselves uh, to find out everything that they are known as, which explains the names. Juno manages to get her herbs, which she's been asking for and looking for for ages, so she'll be able to get Ruana back. And then in Kidu, in this conversation, he drops the soul transference bomb, <laughs> where he literally comes out to Quanta and says, I want to do soul transference. And as she says, she, she glazes over this by saying that it's more of an esoteric ability. But that's kind of... It's getting to the end of the conversation because she doesn't want to discuss any more of this and she's kind of tired of them. So she orders them to return to their study rooms, at which point, like, you know, literally as soon as they're out of the door, Juna blurts out like, oh, they're robots, is quickly (laughs) shushed. And they decide to head back to their room. There's a very much a need for discretion. They head back and they go for the paper of dreams tactic (laughs) that they did before. So they get back to the room. Orin starts hatching a plan with his goggles, attempting to blind this divination sensor that's spying on them with a static picture of the room. Gaius and Gwen have a cuddle. (laughs) Juna begins casting uh, Find Familiar, turning Ruana into a horned owl. Good choice. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Enkidu starts practicing what he refers to as sympathetic magic, sympathy. Uh, Somebody's (laughs) been reading Patrick Rothfuss. And he basically, he then carves the lower half of this sigil onto his dagger. And although it's not a perfect connection, he is able to move it. And Orin, with his glasses of magical detection, is able to see that there is a loose bond between Enkidu and the blade. He refers to this sympathy as two objects that are of similar value, having, you know, a stronger bond but you can create a bond magically via this medium. Uh, So already he's talking about esoteric properties. Oh my god. Yeah. So they start coming (laughs) up with dreams and planning their next step, and uh, they all, in the end, vote to take the advancement test. Guys, why? Uh, Yeah, I know. I mean, they're all really eager for it as well. Like, Gaius is really like, we should do this test. And Juno's like, yeah, we should do this test. Stop it. Stop it. There's more to know. He's really changed from the one who was going, we're just here to look around. We're not here to interfere. We're on a mission. Let's remember the mission. Yes, let's do this test. Oh, God. Gwen flings a chisel and uh, she breaks this static image, which obviously they're a bit annoyed about. And then uh, over like a a long rest, Orin manages to brew some of his bottled smoke from that book that Juna had given him. Uh, And he also takes one of Gwendolyn's darts and turns it into a plus one returning weapon. That was cool. Which is super cool. So if she flings it, it will come right back to her hand ready for the next attack. And I think it's the first plus one weapon as well. So while Gwendolyn at the same time starts work on her very own war fan. Uh, Yes. And she, she pinches the mithril that they got from the maze out of the caddy puts a chisel in there she's just nicking chisels <laughs> yeah because that's not gonna come back to bite them at all is it no termination by any chance 
And then she she hands it over to Erida, who knew about this Mithril in the first place, and basically says, if you give me that and 24 hours, I will turn it into sheets so that you can create your fan. Kind of cool. It's how they get you. Yep. It's how they get you on side. <laughs> right. Okay. Time for the advancement test, guys. Oh. Yeah, that's that's what happens next. So they know that once this is completed, they will have access to the codex, the family tree to find out what their parentage is, and all of that glorious information that the codex yeah, holds. Yeah, will they though? Will they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the doors open, the same door that they exited through from the, the maze that they'd done, and it's completely different. They are faced with five identical glass corridors, each 65 feet long. And once they enter these, they realise that they cannot leave because a force wall pops up to bar Juna's exit. So they're like, okay, well, we're committed to this now. Yeah. And then at the end of each of these corridors, as they walk down there, they find an obsidian wall with the Wingthrop triangle symbol in the middle. And uh, Gaius kicks things off, standard, and establishes the rules of this test. Basically, when somebody touches one of these triangles, the glass on either side of the corridor is blacked out, and they are then asked to rank each of their companions in a particular order. So Gaius' first one is congeniality. And once he chooses that order, the glass returns to normal, but then a charge of arcane power begins to fill the far end of the corresponding corridors. So if they rank first, they receive no additional arcane power. If they are ranked second, they get five feet of their corridor filled with this crackling energy. It's 10 feet for the third placement, and the lowest rank fills up to 15 feet of this power. And uh, they start off going for balance and just like keeping everything balanced. And then Orin and Juna start like, you know, calling out these mathematical suggestions as each player faces this challenge in turn. And once they've all answered, a second round of questions begin. And it basically becomes a logic game and they end up paying little mind to actually answering it truthfully. Mm -hmm. So the order went uh, congeniality, apathy, martial prowess, intelligence, arcane prowess, design talent, emotional resilience or intelligence, honesty, value and leadership. Did you say you kept a table of this, Pip? Because we might need to come back to this. I do have a table. Amazing. I have a feeling the next time we do a chat, we might need it if anything more comes of this. Yeah. Um... And then by the time the final question is asked, they're all standing in their corridors and they're all pretty much filled. Nobody has really much room to move and they can feel the heat coming off it. But it's not the final question. (laughs) Of course it's not. And at this moment, a uh, triangle appears on all of their walls. All of the glass goes dark and everyone is asked the same question. Which of your fellow recruits least upholds the value of the Wingthrop family? And uh, there's a lot of stressing and a follow-up clarification question from Erida, and the decision is made. Mm-hmm. The corridors light up and give the party one last moment with Enkidu, who is powerless as this crackling energy swarms forward to fill his corridor as the glass walls go dark. Oh, oh my god. And Orin throws up. Understandably. So horrible. What a horrible, horrible test. Because I think they all thought, oh yeah, we're going to go into it together. Like the first test. Mm-hmm. But of course the Wingthrops are going to pit them against each other. They yeah. can't have all of them passing. They're ruthless. They've got Ugh. to breed that ruthlessness and test yeah. who is the most ruthless. Yeah. Well, I mean, there is a quote earlier on by Quanta who says something like, oh, normally the spouses die. And it's so cold and unempathetic that, of course, something like this was going to happen. Of course, they are given the calculated choice. I know I've kind of spoken for ages, but I don't think there was any way of getting around it. No. David pushed them into a corner, which which I'm hoping that means that Enkidu isn't dead because they were going to have to choose somebody. Yeah. And it seems a bit overly cruel to just be like, one of you is going to die. I don't care who, but you do this test. There's no way out. There's got to be some way out. The thing about that question as well was they weren't allowed to discuss it. They had to text or message David privately their answer. So none of them knew who it was going to be. And Mm -hmm. I mean, immediately, as soon as like who least upholds the values of the Winthrop family, I was like, well, obviously it's Enkidu. It's true. And also that makes me wonder, did everyone else vote for Enkidu? Were there more votes for Enkidu or was it predetermined to make them all think that someone that people voted for Enkidu and they'll find out later like well I didn't Mm -hmm. say Enkidu I didn't say Enkidu like and are they actually just using it as an excuse to pit them against each other and pick them off one by one in the order that the Wingthrups think oh my god (laughs) 
yes. I don't know. That's just the evil kind of trick that I would expect from this kind of family. Yeah. I d- yeah, I don't know whether it's, you know, whether David was like, well, I don't want to choose which one of you dies. I'll let you guys deal with that. Or yeah, whether you, there is something that was pre-planned for Enkidu after this. Because I, I just, I mean, I don't want to believe that he's gone. No, I don't think so. Because you're not just killing one person, you're killing six or yeah. seven or however many people are in his head. And all of those exciting storylines. Yeah. And I think he's tougher than that. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. He might be taken to a separate place where he has yeah. to like prove his worth. His loyalty or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's now got a test to do by himself. Is he then sent to the marshlands? I don't know. Ooh, failed Wingthrops become trappers. Well, I don't, I don't know, because uh, there, there was an interesting moment when Juna read the thoughts of Quanta. She also picked up the, or, you know, tried to. She also picked up mm. the thoughts of the patient, and the surface thoughts were flashes of mm-hmm. a marshland and something going yeah. wrong. That was like, mm-hmm. okay, that the mm-hmm. way it was said seems significant somehow. Yeah, but the thing I find suspicious about that, if they're trying to get rid of the elemental batteries and the creatures... Why are the trappers still working? Oh, good point. I'm assuming he was a trapper and he's been injured by the elemental creatures. That's good, point. A good call. Yeah. Maybe the message just hasn't got through yet. But that is suspicious. Maybe, maybe. the whole idea mm. is now you you catch them and you destroy them. Or maybe it's the point that they destroy them on site now and that's how he got injured. Mm. Or was he trying to release them and it went wrong? Ooh. Or are they just hoping, because I know Wingthrops don't like loose ends, that because being a trapper is so dangerous that eventually they will die in the line of duty in a sense. Yeah. Mm. Oh, this yeah. family. But then why would she be amputating to try and save him? To turn him into a walking prosthetic as well. Oh, well, yeah, oh Pippi, yeah. you're so right. Put the yeah. prosthetic arm on him, give him a wand. And then he's part of the army. Turn him against the rest of the trappers. So are they waiting for trappers to essentially get injured or die? Like, and die, they don't care. But if they get injured, it's like great opportunity to turn you into... Yeah, yeah, part of our walking prosthetic army, sleeper yep, army. I don't yeah, like it. no. And you would have thought, you know, trappers are you know pretty skilled. Mm. Yeah. Oh, there's so much wrong with this family. <laughs> yes. Can I can I ask you guys a question? Um, yeah. We kind of mentioned it earlier. Do you think that Gaius and Orin are actually Wingthrops? I honestly have no idea now. I mean, it's too convenient. Yeah, I had to have a re-listen to episodes 30 and 31, Mm -hmm. uh, which is when the the test is first issued to them by the golem. Yeah. In episode 30, they walk past the golem. That's what I was going to say. They even get close to it. It doesn't light up. Is what's mentioned. Mm -hmm. And then Orin goes down there and he tinkers with some hands. Yeah. They activate and then the golem identifies them as untested Wingthrops. Yeah, it's almost like, oh shit, you've seen our secret oh yeah then that makes sense right when quanta says the spouses usually die is that signaling we've chosen these two as wingthrops wingthrops in quotes because these are the ones we would like to turn to our cause because we think they've got potential mm-hmm. and the other three are the ones that are most dangerous to us so they're they're the most expendable essentially Ooh, yeah. so if yeah. we get rid of the ones that basically are going to be the most unwingthrappy and essentially have moral scruples yeah like Juna's too natural magic. She would never yeah, go for yeah. it. Gwen's punchy. She's not thinky. She's and also Enkidu, a daughter of the enemy. Yep. Yeah. And Enkidu is like, I mean, he's never going to go for it. Yeah. <laughs> ethically, yeah. he was never going to go for this. So, no. Yeah. And no. he's also a soldier. He's not necessarily. Um, whereas Gaius has criminal connections and Orin is an artificer. So they're both valuable. So maybe they chose the ones they were like, we'll keep these. Yeah. So I think the only two who are going to make it to the end of this advancement test are Orin and Gaius oh, oh god oh god I think they're gonna that. find ways of picking off the spouses <laughs> that's just what I think uh, oh wow why did they take this test <laughs> I don't no know why would you do it but I mean I, I, I do also kind of wonder whether these if our theories are right and you know once you take the advancement test you are uploaded into the codex mm-hmm. i kind of got the sense unless she was lying about it all that quanta didn't really know everything that was going on so is she aware of what's happened to her or you know and therefore like you know trying to carry on as normal or is she keeping her own secrets and it's like oh okay if i respond to this like you know the whole thing about what is your heritage mm. 
if this was decided that they are Wingthrops by Erida or whoever is controlling this codex, why would Quanta not know that? Unless it's not like a hive mind situation. Mm, yeah. It's very strange, mm-hmm. but awesome. <laughs> so cool. How good is the listening lately? Like, oh my God. I can't, it is amazing. I can't wait for the next episodes to come out. Yeah. I'm so excited. But I'm always annoyed that it's no small questions before the next, the next <laughs> one, because, oh my God, that obviously we... We want to know what happens and how accurate all of our theories are. Oh, yeah. God. I mean, I, I feel like this episode kind of, I don't know about you, but I think it kind of speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was dark and hell of a cliff- yeah. cliffhanger to leave us on. For two weeks. For two weeks. <laughs> for two whole weeks. Oh, my God. <sighs> Before we get to sort of rounding up, favourite favorite moments, guys. Favourite moments. Um, Pip? I've got a couple, so I'll see which one you say, Sam, and then maybe I'll I'll pick the other one. Okay. There were so many moments, but there was one moment that really gave me feels, which was, and I, I'll say this to you guys, I'll follow you into tomorrow. That was what I was oh, going to pick. Yeah. So cute. I love it. So sweet. That was one of them. Particularly like because they've been ribbing Orin about how awkward and inarticulate he is for him to just come out Ugh. with that. It's like when the moment is genuine, he's just, oh, he's on it. That was a good choice. In which case I'm going to pick a silly one, which is... Gwen in the chisel moment. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I just, I thought that was hilarious. So I was like, you know, of all the times. All that work. Of all that the Orin places. To miss throw a chisel. <laughs> and then the idea that she got like really kind of like toddler tantrumy about it in her own room and then like threw them on the floor in a half. It's just, it's, it's another, like, you know, obviously Orin was pissed off, but it was also Enkidu and bringing back that like, you know, the, the Gwenkidu, uh, yeah. you know, just the not quite understanding each other on so many levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why a chisel? Yeah, though? the button like, heads. Got, I gave you a dagger. Why? Why would you throw a chisel? <laughs> I loved it. It was great. <laughs> Hannah, your choice. I mean, okay, so we've had a funny one, a heartwarming one. I'm gonna have to choose creepy. I think it must be their conversations with Erida and how mm-hmm. literal she is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's funny, creepy when they're like, "So, are you Erida, or are you?" like a representation of Erida and she's just like yes mm. <laughs> you do that so well as well there's the like misunderstand like the the way she interacts with them yeah she creeps me out so much but I also love her it's so oh so weird I think the way David did it though is it is recognizable to the kind of AI systems that we have now like you yeah. ask Alexa mm-hmm. a question and they don't always know how to answer it it's that that repeated response yeah. isn't it it's like I'm sorry you are not at a high enough level you know to yeah. know that information <laughs> that information is restricted that's it <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah it's that false geniality yeah. And obviously I did say it before, but I love anything that's like vaguely Bioshock reminiscent. Mm. One of my favourite games, I think, Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite are just so, the aesthetics of it in particular, all that sort of art deco, steampunky vibe. So I feel like that's exactly what's happening here with the Wingthrups. You know, in the first game, when when you go down the elevator. Yeah, in the bathosphere, yeah. Yeah, and he, you know, it's like rapture and he explains all about it. I got that sense when he was explaining the arcane engine. Yes, exactly. That moment was so mm-hmm. epic. Exactly. The way he described it and the music that was behind it and just the mm-hmm. reaction of the cast as well. I got that like yeah. jaw drop. This is this is a huge moment kind of thing. And the whole sense of like the lush studio apartments where they're yeah. like, I've got this like very art deco vibe in my mind to them, particularly because of like the geometric symbols of the wing thrups with the mm-hmm. tessellating triangles and then like mm. Coggy dancing along in his bathrobe to a little gramophone while <laughs> He's putting away all these batteries, like, and the big plates of glass that are all smoky, filled with, you know, that are actually tanks filled with elementals. Like, it just gave, yeah, just gave me such Bioshock vibes. I was like, I love this and I hate the Wingthrops so much. <laughs> it's amazing. that yeah, all the theatre of the mind stuff that David is doing around this is just phenomenal. Oh, so good. And uh, can't wait for July now so I can listen to more. <gasps> yeah, come on. July and August. Right, guys, should we leave it there? I we, think, I think so, we should. Yeah. Oh, I kind of don't want to. I know. I, <laughs> I know. keep talking about this for another hour. And the thing is as well, this episode has been longer than when we do four. I know. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, easily. <laughs> There's just been so much to talk about. We're really sorry to all the cast of No Small Roles for how much longer I <laughs> I'm not sorry. They gave us too much to talk about. I was going to say, they shouldn't jam pack their episodes with so much stuff. <laughs> exactly. They just shouldn't make them so amazing. It's all their fault. And if you want to get 
the bonus content, sign up to the Patreon. Um, they just put up an episode of... Um, no Small Talk. Yeah, No Small Talk. Yeah. Episode 39. Yeah, and they just put up an episode. I haven't managed to listen to it yet. I haven't either. Deliberately. Yeah. Deliberately, no. Exactly. Yeah. Same here. So I, learned my lesson I can't wait to listen <laughs> as soon as we stop recording, basically, as to oh. what they thought about episode 39. Yeah. And there's new music on there as well now. Yeah. yeah. And... They're sending out the new classes too, David makes. Um, So that's really, really great. And yeah, Patreon, all this amazing stuff you can join and access for as little as I think like a pound a month. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Obviously, the higher you go, the more cool stuff you get. The more benefits. And, but even then the lower tiers, I mean, for the amount of stuff that they give you, the amount of extra lore and information and the participating, it's still it's like a fiver a month. It's like you get access to all of it. It's so good. So yeah, strong recommend. Come join the family. And also they, they do have a birthday coming up. We're almost <gasps> they at a year. They do. Oh, yes. They might have something else to announce for patrons soon. Yeah. And maybe as a birthday present to No Small Roles, you could sign up to their Patreon. Aw, isn't Wouldn't that, that just be nice? Nice? And then you get all the stuff. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> get them a cake. Yeah, a cake made of your subscriptions. <laughs> Just don't don't frost it. No, no frosting I mean, on that cake. Actually, they probably like yeah. that. If I Just was going to a festival with the cast, I'd want a bit of frosting. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> this has been really fun, guys. Yeah, this has been great. Yeah, this has been a good oh, one. Yeah. Definitely. And who knows when we see each other soon. Yeah, We're just going to have to keep working on all our, our own super secret super fan projects in the projects, yeah. yeah. Nice alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess all that's left to say is, and I'm definitely going to count in this time. Yep. <laughs> yep. Three, two, one. And on for now. now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Guys, that was uh, that was impressive. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, ninety-six percent replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a thirty-night guarantee. Plus, get fifteen percent off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.